Guys, guys, I have a new movie idea for you. Oh, good. We've been waiting for you, uh, sipping coffee, just waiting to see what your uh, new movie idea was. Yes, I understand you uh, have been working on this one for quite a while. Is that right? That's right, yes. This is actually based on the beloved ballet, The Nutcracker. I used to love that when I was a kid. I saw it when I was 12, and uh, it's about a girl that goes to sleep and dreams uh, of her toys coming to life, right? Oh, so you've seen it. Good, good. Because I actually haven't seen The Nutcracker. I don't know anything about it. Oh, doesn't seem uh, doesn't seem like something you'd need to do to write the film for it. Why why not just throw it at the wall and see what sticks? I guess if you just have the cliff notes, you'll have the broad strokes you need. Okay, great. So my story is about this genius little girl who's like a master inventor and tinkerer. Well, I do like that it still centers around a strong female protagonist. Yes, and a very smart one, too. She must use a lot of those inventor skills throughout the movie. Uh, I mean, she does at one point put a key into a keyhole and turn it. Okay. And she invents the key and mechanism, or... No, her mom invented them both. So what exactly does she do? Okay, so she goes to the four realms. It's this magical place where, like, all the most important aspects of the world are all kind of represented by the elements there. Well, well, tell us more about these realms. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're made up of all the important stuff of the universe. There's the realm of snowflakes, the realm of sweets, the realm of amusements, and the realm of flowers. You know, all the most important stuff. I'm confused. That doesn't sound like a balanced ecosystem. Well, what does she do in these realms? Oh, she mostly just putters around and gets lost and then um, uses a unnecessarily complicated understanding of physics to descend from the top of a tower and then uh, uses the machine that her mom made to beat the villain, who's a fairy, the sugar plum fairy. Oh, yes. If I remember correctly... She's a lovable, mischievous figure who just got bored and wanted to have some fun and brought the toys to life. Yeah, no, in this one, she's a horrendous dictator who hides her true intentions to create an army of living automata who will take over all the realms. Oh, boy. Hmm. I think this might be hard to sell. A bit too... what is Realistic? Okay, well, let me just sell you on the last important detail. The girl's mother is dead. Perfect. That's exactly what we want here at Disney. You've sold me. The widowed fathers are going to love this. Ho ho, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your festive dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, 
here with my Holly Jolly co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a gumdrop person that just can't stop licking myself. I mean, you do look delicious. Not like a cat would lick themselves, which I've seen. No, no, you're trying to get a taste. Yeah, exactly. I'm just so tasty. (laughs) You know what they say, everyone's always trying to get a taste. I heard a lollipop person reaches enlightenment once they've found their center. (laughs) (laughs) How many licks does it take to get to the center of the lollipop person? One day, I hope you find out. Thank you. It's a goal of mine. And me? Who am I? I'm a father who's become estranged from his daughter, but she disappeared during this party we were just at and came back with all her issues fixed. So we're good now. Oh, that's nice. I love it when family trauma just kind of works itself out in about 30 to 90 minutes. Yeah. It's pretty handy. I didn't have to deal with it, so. Well, guys, this week we have got another patron-voted movie. That's right. Wow. And if you, listener, want to be able to vote on some of the movies we watch, you can go to patreon.com slash swordsandsatire, check out all the different monthly membership tiers we have, and every one of them, besides getting some awesome bonus episodes, includes the ability to vote on the movies we watch. It's super fun to create the polls for people, and it's always interesting to see what our uh, patrons pick. Especially when we take our themes and we stick them together with bubble gum and... Shoestring. (laughs) I was going to say hopes and dreams, but close enough. (laughs) But without much further ado, this week we're going to be talking about The Nutcracker and the Four Realms, the beloved Disney film... Yeah, I uh, didn't realize this was a Disney movie, so I was pretty surprised by that. That's fair. (laughs) But this movie was directed by Lassie Hellstrom and Joe Johnson, written by Ashley Powell, and it stars Kira Knightley, Mackenzie Foy, Matthew McFadden, and Morgan Freeman. Matthew McFadden with his dreamy eyes and dulcet tones. That's right. Beloved Dickensian actor, Matthew McFadden. Famous for basically every adaptation of a Dickens or Austen novel I've ever seen. And Morgan Freeman, I mean, goes without saying, but I could listen to his voice all day. He is my favorite British actor. (laughs) In this movie set in London. Ah, yes. London. His accent was so dreamy. (laughs) (laughs) guys i also forgot helen mirren right oh my god i don't know how i forgot that but before we get into our deep and thought-provoking discussion about this film i think chelsea has a little summary pre-planned and ready to go for all of you listeners that's right so here we are in london It's snowing outside. (laughs) Like always. It's Christmas again, right? But this time, we have to celebrate without mom. Classic (laughs) tragedy. (laughs) It wouldn't be a Disney movie without a dead mother. I know. She Um, had to go. (laughs) We open with the Stahlbaum family trying to celebrate Christmas without the mom there. 
She got sick and died. Never explained why. Because she was in a Disney film. I think or at least because there's a Disney film that her family is the star of. It seems like when you're a mom in a Disney film, it's always fatal. There's a, a line from a, <laughs> a pitch meeting. It's like, what did she die of? Being the mother in a Disney film. That's <laughs> yeah. fatal. Yeah, that's fatal. <laughs> I think she died when Sora from Kingdom Hearts killed her. As he went from movie to movie. I wouldn't be surprised because it turns out that Clara, the inventor daughter of the inventor mother, finds out that her mother was the queen of a pocket dimension of four yep. different realms. So Sora could totally have visited her there. This is a Disney film. That means it takes place in the Kingdom Hearts universe or that the Kingdom Hearts universe is connected. So we're going to have a lot of questions about Sora's connection to this film. At least I'm going to have a lot of those questions. <laughs> Coming soon. And uh, they go to a party at the Drosselmeyer house. Um, obscenely wealthy individual played by Morgan Freeman. And he's the children's godfather. He doesn't narrate. Or does he narrate this film? I think he does narrate it. Yeah. You can't have Morgan Freeman in a movie and not narrate the movie. It's a law. Yeah. He's their godfather, also their fucking grandfather, so I don't know why they bother with that. Cause he adoptive had, grandfather, He yeah. adopted their mother, Marie, who grew up in an orphanage, partly. Maybe they didn't get along very well. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you can't be their grandpa, you can be their godfather. So the Stahlbombs are all sad sacks, but they're trying not to bring <laughs> down the party. Um, <laughs> Come on, guys, like, just stop being such a bummer. <laughs> Like, I know your mom died or whatever, but... So Clara, along with her brother Fritz, sister Louise, and their father Benjamin go to this party. Drosselmeyer, the host, and their godfather, set up an elaborate scavenger hunt for all the children at the party for to get their gifts. Um, so they saw their name on a piece of string and follow have to follow the string around the grounds or in the house to find their gift. Is it elaborate or just a dick move? It's like a game. So Yeah, this is the 1800s. I guess this is what counted as entertainment back then. They didn't have TV, so. It's either this or get a disease. Yeah. The disease could be more fun. At least something's happening, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is back when they had like you know cup and ball game right yeah. that was like the height of entertainment mm -hmm. yeah now it's all a uh, fish and chip game <laughs> so clara is obsessed with science but also likes being a ruler over other beings who doesn't <laughs> she finds this realm because uh drosselmeyer leads her to it <laughs> yeah it's like he nerdy is her, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, in Narnia, they find it on accident. And in this movie, it's just like, I'm just going to send you into this really dangerous, warring realm. Yeah. No big deal. So. I'm uh, a mad millionaire. The story is pretty convoluted. So the long and short of it is her mother gifted her an egg that's like a mechanical device. And it has to be open with a specific key. What's inside the egg, Chelsea? Everything that Clara needs is inside. So eventually Clara gets the key 
and opens the egg and then she's like, oh, what the fuck? There's nothing in here. <laughs> and it's just a stupid fucking music box, says then, the uh, preteen girl. <laughs> and then <laughs> later she opens it again and then realizes part of the music box like has a hinge and flips over and there's a mirror there. And it's like, oh, everything you needed was inside you all along. Yes, the ability yeah. to turn a key was inside you all along. They're she aping Kung Fu Panda and the Dragon Scroll. Oh my god, you're so right. Yeah. Then she looked at the camera and said, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you, audience, for watching this fucking movie. So all the realms are at war with Mother Ginger, the demigod I of- do not like the use of that name in this movie. Yeah. And she's the demigod of the realm of amusements. Which kind of looks like a place that Pennywise would go on vacation. That's true. And it turns out it's all a bunch of propaganda perpetuated by the sugar plum fairy who's in charge of the candy realm. Never trust candy, kids. That's the message of this film. So, turns out, the sugar plum fairy betrays everyone. She... Creates these tin soldiers that will obey her every command and have no soul. Uh, With the device that Marie, Clara's mother, created to give toys life. Listen, giving inanimate objects life, never a good idea. And We've all seen Toy Story. (laughs) She tries to take over all the realms, but Clara gets into the back of the device reconfigures it so that it returns the sugar plum fairy to toy form but she's sad about it <laughs> in, in in clara's one use of her mechanical know-how other than creating the rube goldberg machine from the beginning of the film to yeah. basically just make the game mousetrap in real size which is a noble pursuit but and the mouse she trapped was mouse rinks Yes, beloved main character of the film, Mouse Ranks, the most <laughs> beloved character in this entire movie. He's the one that stole the key and brought it to Mother Ginger. So, event after Clara defeats uh, the Sugar Plum Fairy and effectively snuffs her life out, <laughs> um, she robs her of the gift that her own mother had given. Yeah. It seems Life. like she leaves Mother Ginger in charge, and she goes back to the party, and time moves so much more quickly in the Four Realms that when she comes back to the party, she's only been gone for like 20 or 30 minutes. And she has that dance long with her enough, father. She and her father patch up their differences. I was going to say, long enough for her and her dad to get over the horrendous trauma of losing a parent-slash-partner. Yeah. And then the whole family's dancing together under a gazebo, listening to the music from the music box. Oh, God. Did you say gazebo? Yeah. Run. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Drosselmeyer is just like, my work is done here. <laughs> I'm a mad god who presides <laughs> over chaos. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. And to any of our listeners who are savvy at f- uh, video editing... Please take that final scene and replace the dance music with another song. (laughs) This was your mother and I's first song that we danced to. And it's this WAP. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, I think with that, we can move into the festive delve. 
Welcome to The Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Nutcracker and The Four Realms. So guys, I want to start by asking you a very important question. How tangentially related to Christmas can a movie be to be called a Christmas movie? This barely has the pastiche of Christmas or the holidays, like kind of just in the framing device. Well, the Nutcracker is often billed as a Christmas tradition, yes? Well, yeah, because I think it's like loosely linked to that poem about people dreaming about sugar plums and the night the night before Christmas. <laughs> I heard the that. night before Christmas. I love that movie. You're thinking of the nightmare before Christmas. No, I'm thinking of the night before Christmas with Sir Cole. Oh, my favorite December film that's not Die Hard. We did that one last year or two years ago. Two years ago. Wow, that's a good movie. Yes, and a good episode. Two years ago. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> How tangentially oh! related the Christmas to the movie can a movie be to be deemed a Christmas movie? There was a Christmas tree and gifts. Okay, that's it. So So very loosely related, I guess. It's literally as much of a Christmas movie as Die Hard. When yes, it is. When she goes to the four realms, she appears in the Christmas tree forest. True. So they have lights and ornaments. All no, nah, it's just a just a forest. Just a pine forest. There's, there's one tree. A snowy pine forest. Yeah. There was one tree with lights and 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 ornaments on it. Yes. I mean, the four realms are kind of made up of all the most important Christmas things, right? Snowflakes, sweets, amusements, flowers, which are known for growing in December. I guess if you're in the southern hemisphere, <laughs> they are not. <laughs> I'm happy they made a movie where all four realms got equal screen time and representation. Ooh, oh. um, about that. Did you fall asleep? Well, uh, I forgot when Thanos snapped, half the realms <laughs> got erased from the film. <laughs> they, they could have just called it the Nutcracker and the Two Realms, I guess, but it wouldn't have been as impressive. They just showed her visiting the realm of snowflakes and the realm of flowers in a montage in the beginning. <laughs> now, I will say this. The regents of flowers and snowflakes, very cool. I liked them a lot. Yeah. Great outfits. They looked like fey lords of yeah. those elements. The elements of snowflakes and flowers. They did. It was very cool. And the the Lord of Flowers got sort of like a personality. Yeah, yeah. I would say he was a little... Uh, he was sort of like shy and submissive, but very kind. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And then the, the Lord of Snowflakes was polite. <laughs> I suppose and had icicles everywhere. Yeah, what's your personality? Uh snow. I mean, if they wanted to be really on the nose, he sh he could have been cold towards her. <laughs> but the reality is rather warm. Yes. Yeah. I now I did like the detail where Sugar Plum's hair was made of cotton candy and she eats a chunk of it during the dance during I the ballet. That was so fucking unholy. <laughs> it's I the was body like, horror of while the film. I was watching it, I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> Chelsea was shook by that. She's eating herself. <laughs> was, she was like Homer with the donut for his head. I was so disturbed by it. It seemed like a neurotic move to her 
to the for the character too. Like she just like grabbed a fistful of hair and yanked it out without really thinking about it. I mean, she was stress eating. We all do it sometimes. So part of the beginning when she comes there is this pageant they put on showing the history of the four realms and how her mother came and saw all of these realms and created the the life there. <laughs> yes, it was done through a ballet performance by Misty Copeland, who seemed to be an outstanding ballet dancer. Yeah, I think she's a famous ballet dancer. Incredibly muscular, famous ballet dancer. I saw how cut she was, and I was like, Jesus, you could cut diamonds. <laughs> yeah, we basically already cast her in our live-action reboot of Co The Legend of Korra. Yeah. Yes. But so this counts as the Christmas movie, guys. We've yeah. done it. There you go. I guess so. That's, that's all we have to say, right? <laughs> it's true. But we were just talking about that ballet performance and what it was depicting. Yes. The mom coming, seeing the realms, and giving each of them life. Yeah. Right? So she came upon a barren, lifeless, <laughs> but thematic-themed world. Yeah. Thematically appropriate world. <laughs> yes. It had four themes, but no inhabitants. So she became God. Yep. Yeah. You know... Just the way a tinkerer could do back in the 1800s. She created a device with science! Ah, yes. Science exclamation point. It uses a laser that yep. creates life. Yep. And how could you represent science in a movie without a laser? Can't be done. Okay, so you give it a toy, and it gives it a, a soul? Yes. I don't know if they have souls. They definitely it's an interesting question. Do, Some because the tin soldiers are said to have, be empty inside. That's right. Because they are hollow. Right. That's <laughs> mean. Yes. But uh uh there's some sort of this is a world with magic that we've stepped into, right? Yeah. So we are told some part of this world assumes what personality these toys would have. When it brings them to life. Or it was the mother mm -hmm. who made this magic device that would just put all of her assumptions into these toys, right? So she had to create the Sugar Plum Fairy with some inherent ability to become a terrorist. So, yeah. So wait, I didn't pick up the fact that she gave life to, like, the regents of the realms. I thought she was just friends with them. No. The Sugar Plum Fairy said that she created the that the Mother Marie created all of them. Yes. My God. <laughs> she gave us the ability to love and to hate. <laughs> yeah, basically. And I'm thinking that Marie has to be the one to give them life, to give them a soul, because it's kind of like when you make a copy of a copy. When the Sugar Plum Fairy tried to create life, there was no soul. It was not ensouled. That's right. And I uh the the reason the sugar plum fairy became evil. Yeah. Was she was grieving over the loss of the mom. The mom left them and never came back because she passed away. And right. she's like their mother too or their goddess. Yeah. So in a way, Sugar Plum is like Clara's sister who is also coping with the loss of the same mother. Yeah. Yes. And the takeaway from this is that, you know, it's like nature versus nurture, right? 
through our grief, any one of us could become a militaristic <laughs> terrorist dictator. dictator. Yeah. I gotta tell you, when we started watching this movie, I was not prepared for it to be a meditation on grief and loss. Me either. Classic. <laughs> oh, Disney, you and your hatred of maternity. So I'd like to look at a few ways that this isn't a kid's movie and I would never show this to a child. Please. Oh, yes. We did it last year with the Polar Express. Let's do it this and year we'll with probably, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. And we'll probably do it next week with the Christmas Carol that's made by the same director and, and uh, art director of uh, the Polar Express. That's right. Spoilers for next or anticipation for next week's episode. Yes. Now, we've already touched on a few of the things that aren't good for children. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, it has the story that candy is bad for you. Yes. Or it carries the theme that candy is bad for you. Yeah, I suppose auto-cannibalism could be added to the list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, let, let's just go from from the top, right? right? Okay. First realm that she walks into. London. The nut Never take a child there. I wouldn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, she goes immediately into the carnival realm. Land of amusements. Yes, the first, the Nutcracker, her friend, says, "Hey, that's the body horror nightmare realm, terrorist realm. Don't go there, right?" Yeah. And she's just like, "Ah, I do what I want, right?" My mom. This is where we meet the giant mecha Helen Mirren. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, she's following the key. Yes, she's following Mouse Ranks with the key. Mouse Ranks stole the key to the egg. So she goes there. Mouse Rinks is just the avatar of chaos and hijinks. Yes. And so the Nutcracker says, hey, don't go in there or you will die. And she's like, woo, here I go. (laughs) So (laughs) YOLO. Off to a bad start. But there is a rat golem. Yes. Yeah. That is like kidnapping her. The rat king. It's the rat king. Just a gigantic golem assembled of thousands of rats scurrying. Basically a rat swarm in the form of a rat golem. Pretty horrifying. And this forest, all the trees are dead. They are skeletal But there are all these cool red cap mushrooms everywhere, too. A sign of decay (laughs) as well. And broken down carnival rides and stuff. Always a sign of good things in a movie. Yes. Also, red cap mushrooms, a callback to Celtic mythology. Yeah. If you're looking at it from a fantastical viewpoint, are a bad thing. Those are aggressive spirits, right? Well, they're poisonous mushrooms, too. Poisonous mushrooms housing vengeful spirits. (laughs) So the movie is really setting up this idea that Mother Ginger is the villain in its visual language. It is gray. Everything is dead or feeding off death. (laughs) She has let her kingdom fall into ruin uh, as she hoards her power inside a giant mechanized version of herself. That's like a circus tent. Yeah. And also terrifying. (laughs) That mech is horrible. It's so bad. It's like looming in the fog in the distance. It's like, girl, I have your key succumb to my will. And the Nutcracker's like, oh, Clara, that's the face of Satan. Don't go to it. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's just like, little girl. That's when they do fucking get the hell out of there. Yeah, that's when she starts <laughs> shitting her pants. <laughs> Clara's like, nah, I'm good. She's like, maybe you were right, dude. That was when I started shitting my pants. <laughs> I know, I was like, oh shit. It's, any kid, no kid should see that. <laughs> no kid, I wouldn't. Dude, when I was a kid, I would have been so afraid of that. And later when Clara goes into that tent, Almost. Up into the, um, between the legs of giant Mecca, Helen I know, Marin. at first I was like, oh god, she's putting her in a vagina, but also... <laughs> she was. She um, did! She, they took the elevator up into the crotch. All of those unholy beings that are inside that are... What are what kind of toy are the they? Harlequin yeah. dancers? Yeah. yeah. They're like, like nesting doll clowns. Yeah. yeah. And they oh, can man. like break eat themselves in half and other ones pop out from inside but they're all alive and violent yeah they are violent and their face paint is horrible yeah it's terrifying Dude, it, when i was a kid that would have fucking given me nightmares as an adult their faces are disturbing yeah and their movements are upsetting i was really unsettled while we were watching that part <laughs> it's just it's just so easy to make them seem like the villain. Yeah. Because the mom was like, what if I made a fuck Jerome? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's it's just bad things and good things that are scary. <laughs> but Helen Mirren is nice, except she has like cracks all over her face. I actually thought that her character design was really interesting. Yeah. She was like a broken doll. Yeah. Like, she rides around in this gigantic, like, kind of Victorian lady mecca with, like, the big skirt and everything. But when they go inside and meet Helen Mirren, she's dressed like a circus harlequin and kind of, like gender fluid garb and yeah like, i thought that might have been an interesting subversion of expectation where like she's kind of trying to present herself as this queen but she's really more of a theatrical character yeah she reminded me in a way of captain shakespeare from stardust the queer sky pirate mm. from that film lightning thief yeah who's yeah. like presents themselves in a different way <laughs> than you know than they really are like yeah. it seemed like Mother Ginger is trying to be this queenly figure through this giant mecha she has. But in reality, she's not really conforming to gender roles. She's more of this theatric character who, yes, like you said, is kind of broken yeah. by the loss of Marie. And that shows through, like, the, the doll-like cracks in her facade. Right. In her actual face paint. Yeah. It looked pretty cool. And, you know... I feel like this movie was trying to have something interesting to say about gender. And I'm wondering if you guys think they succeeded or not in doing it. Because when we meet Clara and her father, we kind of see that Benjamin wants a daughter who falls into the more normative gender roles of young girls. Yeah, she's not good at, like playing dress up and like doing up her hair and makeup and her sister helps her with that her older sister yeah louise mm -hmm. who is the more like traditionally we're talking victorian era feminine stereotype stereotype character yeah clara is an inventor you know she's interested in different things she's a clever girl <laughs> <laughs> yes, as we are told, I believe no fewer than five times in the film. Um, you know, she doesn't want to dance with her father 
or she's not interested in dancing, right? That's she's interested in inventing. When they get to Drosselmeyer's, she just instantly goes to his laboratory. She's interested in different things than are expected of her. And the movie is kind of highlighting this, I feel, through its use of dialogue and imagery throughout the film. Yeah. And her mother was also an atypical woman or female figure for that time period. So it's possible that, you know, the father might be having this complicated feeling where, you know, his wife who died didn't fall into stereotypes necessarily. And he's maybe afraid that the same things that went wrong with Marie might happen to Claire or something like he's defensively trying to put her into a traditional gender role for the time and place that they're in. Yeah, and he talks about, like, needing to live up to expectations that other people have of them. And part of that is, like, not sulking at home and, like, going out to this party that none of them really wanted to go to. And um, I think none of them felt, like, emotionally ready to be around a big crowd. But also part of it is conforming to expected gender roles. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. I was a little troubled. By the way, they framed an intelligent woman as the main character. Yeah, me too. Because they made it seem uncommon. I know. They kept pointing out how clever she was as a girl. It's like, you guys are laying it on pretty thick. Yeah. Wow, you've got a man's brain for a woman. It's like, (laughs) yike. They were just one step beyond that <laughs> it, it, yeah it was it was one step beyond that uh isn't there also a line where like clara doesn't want to go to the party in a dress or something yeah there was one line early on i don't remember exactly what it is but she says she doesn't want to do something that was a typically very feminine thing at the time right which made us be like is this a trans allegory Joke's on you, everything is a trans allegory. (laughs) But uh, they made intelligence seem like a masculine trait and uncommon in women. Yeah, I don't know if that was intentional, but it does feel like that is kind of how the takeaway of the film feels. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it definitely wasn't on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. I think they were just telling on themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Could be. Like but, the, the creative team. But so I'm wondering how you guys feel about the ending where Clara goes to her father and says, you know, we still have to have our dance for the evening. And she kind of, after going through this big adventure, she comes back and then her experiences have changed her willingness to kind of follow an expected behavior or is she doing it? Because she is feeling like it's a way to bond with her father. Okay, well, I guess with the way you asked the question, you kind of led to my answer. But um, there is one point when she's in the other realm, when the sugar plum fairy shows her that they can go through a clock to view the regular human realm from a toy's perspective um, as the clock kind of turns around on the hour. And um, they can see all the humans at the party in Drosselmeyer's house, like moving around extremely slowly from their perspective. And she does see her father sitting there and she says he looks so lost. And he 
he looks like really sad and downtrodden and like he can't connect to anyone. And she realizes in that moment that he was probably just trying to connect to her and that's why he wanted to dance with her. Before he was telling her she had to dance, but then later on when they were at the party, he was like, we, we still have to have our dance. So I think he wanted a moment to try to bond with her and that was the way he knew how because right. he's trying to be like the strong stoic father for the family or something. Mm-hmm. So when she comes back, I kind of interpreted that she wanted to have that dance with him because she finally recognized that he was just trying to connect to her on an individual level. And that was the way that, like I said, he knew how. And I didn't feel like she was sacrificing any part of herself. She was just trying to throw him a bone, I guess. And it was like a bonding moment over the song in the egg too in the music box because it was the first song he and marie had danced to and marie made this egg that Mm -hmm. played the music and so it wasn't like they were at first performing in front of other people they did a a private little dance party with the other brother and sister too under the gazebo like it was just kind of a private family bonding moment so i don't think that she was sacrificing the integrity of her identity or anything by doing that. No, I think that this was kind of the character growth in a lot of ways for Clara. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seeing that she can be, I mean, again, the film does not really do anything to show that Clara is a brilliant inventor beyond the Rube Goldberg machine. But we are told throughout the movie, the text of the film at least is to make us believe that she is, this clever inventor and everything. I think by the end, she realizes that she can be both that and also fall into some other, you know, roles that, you know, situate her within her family unit Mm -hmm. and that connect her to her loved ones. And it's not sacrificing any part of who she really is. Now that is right. But I have an observation. Okay. On gender in this film that they're doing a bit of a swap. Okay. A role reversal of men and women. Okay. Because the woman who was the Mary Sue in this was the mom, right? Right. The flawless individual. The worst flaw she ever had was getting sick and dying. Yeah. Yeah. Real real fail, if you know what I mean. Yeah, fail army. And uh, (laughs) she... So the mom was... A brilliant inventor, and we actually get to see that she was a brilliant inventor. Mm -hmm. She is a rags-to-riches hero. Someone who is poor in an orphanage. Yeah. Poor in an orphanage, became a genius inventor, found this other realm, became the god of the realm by making a machine that creates life. She really pulled herself up by her own bootstraps. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) And she makes this world... And then everyone loves her and she dies. Okay, so the world was populated by a woman. Her heir, uh, her matriarchal heir, goes in and inherits the world, right? And there are two women rulers in this world. One of them who is the villain and the other one who is the perceived villain. The two male rulers are irrelevant, story-wise. <laughs> Very much so. They don't... They don't have names. They don't, they didn't need actors. They could have just been alluded to. (laughs) 
I think they had names. I think they were just the regent of. I, mean, I guess yeah, because Sugar Plum has a name. They That's were so plot irrelevant <laughs> that I think they shouldn't have even been included. Not gonna lie. They did have names. Yeah, they had names. Hawthorne and Shiver were their names. Yes. Which are very cool names, actually. They are. But they are very submissive and frightened. Yeah. Yeah. And gentle, which are things that women are typically shown as being in media. True. And the the feminine characters, the women in this movie, are all very assertive. Yes. And valued for their plans and their capacity for, like, moral integrity and cleverness. And for taking action. Yeah, Yeah, being adventurous and being um, adept at strategizing. Mm -hmm. A lot of the men need to be saved at times. Yes. I don't necessarily dislike any of this, even if it's a bit (laughs) heavy-handed. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I also think, like, the way you said that, Jack, the men needing to be saved, I think that's what she was trying to do with her father. Yes. Uh, doing emotional labor to try to be supportive to him. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I love that this happened at all. I don't love that it was completely all-encompassing. And also that... The only way to show somebody's being strong is to have them exemplify what are typically thought of as male traits in our culture. And that's the only way to be strong. There are many ways to be a strong person or a hero. And um, we as a culture have yet to really fully explore that. Yes. Yes. I'm glad that you brought this up, though, Jack. Because it transitions really nicely into another thing I want to talk about in the movie. And a character that we have not touched on nearly enough. Because they are one of the most interesting characters in the movie. And that is Philip, the Nutcracker Soldier. Who is actually the first person that Clara meets in the Four Realms. After Mouse Rings, sure. The first humanoid the first character. humanoid character. <laughs> yeah. That, I, did she meet him before Mouse Rings too? I thought he like showed her where the key was or something. Okay. No. Either way. Philip is a nutcracker soldier, right? He's a guard. He's He has this kind of ineffectual post where he's like guarding this bridge that nobody crosses. Yeah. Well, he's guarding the border to the realm. Right. So if right, anybody, from, the, from the Christmas tree forest with one Christmas tree. Um, which leads to the tree trunk that goes back to the human realm. Right. So if anybody sh- would just stumble through, he might stop them. It's right. the only way to access. The- but it seems like nobody comes through. Yeah, nobody goes into that closet room. I mean, the punchline at the end of the movie is that that post is basically meaningless. Because they put the two soldiers who were guarding the castle there as kind of punishment for not being very good in the battle and everything. Yeah. Towards the end. Um, Anyways, so the character of Philip is my segue into the themes of obedience and autonomy. Okay. As a nutcracker soldier, Philip's job is kind of just do what he's told, stay there. He doesn't have much drive or motivation beyond just this job that's been given to him. He does have a strong sense of duty. He does. 
and responsibility. Yeah, admirable qualities. Mm-hmm. Even if he's using them for, uh, you know, militaristic purposes. Yeah. But so later on in the movie, he says to Clara, you know, after they've been on some adventures together, he's been saved by Clara a few times, like Jack pointed out. He talks about how Clara has given him purpose. Hmm. It is juxtaposed very strongly with the imagery of the tin soldier nutcracker characters who have no autonomy, who are completely at the whim and beck and call of Sugar Plum after she turns them from toys into a like life-size soldiers. Yeah. They have no choices. The tin soldiers literally stop functioning when their master is incapacitated. You know what changes Philip is the friendship he shares with Clara. Right. Also, the Sugar Plum Fairy went from being a living person to an inanimate object. I think that counts as death. I think they <laughs> killed her. I that's what I was kind of painting it as in the summary. I I went with incapacitated. I figure she could be brought back with the use of M- Maria's God Machine. Her god engine, as we call it. Yeah, actually, I thought that would be true as well. But as an inanimate object, she is no longer alive. Sure. That's fair. At least from, like, most people's perspective, you know. In a non-magical reality. Yeah. But this brings up an interesting question, Jack. Because if she could be brought back to life... And Marie is gone. The person that would bring her back is Clara. And if Clara's giving beings life, do they get a different personality when they come back or are brought to life? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, it's possible that Clara would have an image of what Sugar Plum was like. And that would, like, if this god machine works through the expectations of one's you know, interpretation of someone's personality, she might bring her back as the version that she was. But that version was uh, kind of a jerk. But, you know, maybe a sympathetic jerk. It's true. And uh, this raises some interesting implications for what justice is in this world. Yes, it does. When Clara, the the two male rulers... And Shiver and Hawthorne. The Nutcracker are captured. They don't have a prison as part of the castle. So they are locked up in the throne room, aren't they? Yeah, or the tower. It's like the observatory tower. Yeah. So they're locked up just in a room that has a different purpose, not to be let out. So they, you know, they have an idea of holding someone captive, but they don't have a prison. When the Sugar Plum Fairy who we are aware of is doing all of this out of grief and just lashing out. Yeah. Everyone seems fine, completely unaffected by the idea of revoking her right to be alive. (laughs) Yes. The death penalty is strong in the four realms. She is not mourned. No. There's like maybe a moment of sadness that Clara has about like, I'm sorry I have to do this to you. Well, she was also trying to get her not to keep going and to talk her out of committing suicide, basically. Everyone unwittingly. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But they have a party celebrating 
that the war has ended and they don't acknowledge that Sugar Plum Fairy is dead. Is it really all that different from when Maleficent turns the queen into a goat and then the dark fae and everyone celebrate the end of the war on the battlefield where most of their friends and loved ones died? Dude, they have a wedding with dead bodies all around them. It's true. (laughs) Also, Mother Ginger, they're going to kill her if they catch her as well. Yeah. As part of the war. Yeah. So, death penalty strong in the four realms. Yeah. Those two guards are certainly punished for their inadequacy. Yes. Yeah. They, they've they effectively been given a fate worse than death job. <laughs> I mean, maybe not that bad. Uh, it's just very demeaning. There are mortal beings that have to be cold forever. Well, let's talk about this, because when Maria, Clara's mother, created this realm and brought these toys to life, she was a child. This was before she had a family. She right. hadn't been back to the four realms in a really long time and uh so it was with her childlike form of her personality that she created life and so they kind of have a maturity level of whenever maria created them yeah i mean so their morality yeah their morality system is kind of black and white i feel like mother ginger is the closest we get to kind of a complex moral character in the movie. So it's possible that Maria created her when she was older at like one of the later. Or she was like a representation of an imprint of her own mother. Well, no, but no, that's the, no, she was an orphan. So that doesn't work. Unless she knew her mother before. Or a maternal figure in her life. Or it's Drosselmeyer. Right. Mm -hmm. Who I want to talk about because I want to address the class struggle in the room. It yes. could be a representation of some for- part of Drosselmeyer because like everything about the realm of amusements was mechanical and he was an inventor. Very true. Good point. But so we've got Drosselmeyer, right? The mad architect of this. Yeah. We have to answer some important moral questions about this character who for one represents extreme privilege. Yes. He is this wealthy eccentric millionaire in Victorian London who has a gigantic party at this huge manor house. I know. We'll give him props for being a person of color who was able to rise his way up through the ranks of of London high society. It's a disgustingly lavish party. It is. But we have some moral questions that we have to answer about Drosselmeyer. When he sends Clara to the four realms, is he aware of the civil war that is raging there? Or does he just think it's a fun, silly place that it, that Clara's mom created? He knows. Jocelyn has a familiar that is an owl. Yes. That is his eyes, ears, Boom. messenger, which we see in multiple scenes in the four realms going back and forth to Jocelyn so he sends a child into a war zone and is just like, ha ha ha, Merry Christmas, dumbass. Well, it seems like he could communicate with the owl because the owl is hooting at him and he's responding in English. 
And She's he, taken another life. Magnificent. Well, no, he's just kind of like, oh, I know it's dangerous, but she can figure it out on her own. Like, he knows she's going into danger. <laughs> so, yeah. Clara's family is at least middle class. Possibly upper middle class. They lead a comfortable life. Yeah, it's not exactly like the extremely wealthy just completely punching down to the to the impoverished, but it's showing how even when you're in like a more comfortable class, you are still being manipulated by the people at the very top. Yeah. You still lack a certain amount of autonomy about, you know, where you go in life without again, the mad architect <laughs> who sends you off into danger with no second thought. And maybe this is the expectation that the father was talking about. He's the godfather to the children. Drosselmeyer must provide financial aid to the family. And maybe the father, um, Benjamin, thinks if we don't go to his party, he might get mad at us and then we could be fucking destitute. I mean. Yeah, that's a great point. And also, is this an allusion to Morgan Freeman as God and, I believe, Bruce Almighty? God, <laughs> Father, the great patron who both provides for you and sends you off to do horrifying acts of violence against those who don't fall in line. I mean, how does he have this pocket dimension in his house? Did he create that? Well, no. Marie did. But she somehow connected the realm to his estate. We don't know that she did that. So you think that Drosselmeyer might have created his own portal to the four Because realms. in the pageant, it says that Marie stumbled upon the entrance to the realms and found them there already constructed. So you're saying that he might have created them before Maria ever got there. Yeah. And like that was all part of his machinations. Yeah. Could be. I'm concerned. <laughs> I've been concerned this whole time. About something else that I'm not as knowledgeable about as you are. It's the idea of the mystic person of color. Right. Drosselmeyer, it has, his whole personality is I have a better idea of what's going on in the world than everyone else. Yes. It's a secret magical land. And I can... I have powers nobody else has. Interesting point. I'm worried that he falls into the archetype of the mystic person of color. It's possible, yeah. It's close, if nothing else. Who's, like, wise and provides counsel to the, like, white main character. The, yeah. the one um, point I will point out is that Morgan Freeman is not the only person of color in the film. No, but he... In fact, there's a fair amount of representation. He's the only person of color with lines in the movie, I think. What about the Tin Soldier? Or what about the... Oh, right. What about the, the Nutcracker? I'm yeah. glad you brought up the Nutcracker. Because he is Clara's servant. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. The only she other is royalty. significant person of color is her loyal servant. I mean, he's a soldier, so it's complicated. I mean, oftentimes people from lower economic classes have to go into military service to have opportunities at all. Yeah. Well, there was something about his dialogue, though, that we even found cringy <sighs> while we were watching it. 
True. Because he was talking about just loving his job and not having any other purpose in life and just right. kind of being a happy slave. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. This is dark. That was a real house elf dialogue, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, seriously. She did encourage him to, like, want more, but it's like he couldn't have thought of that on his own. Like, I mean, certainly not for the events of this film. <laughs> right. And it was it made me pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not, though. Yeah, I I remember hearing Jamie that when you looked this up, it passed the Bechdel test. Did I hear that right? No, I said it passed the Bechdel test because of the conversations between Clara and Sugar Plum and uh, Mother Ginger, because they're not talking about men. <laughs> It's true. They're mostly talking about, like, Clara's position and role or her relationship to her mother. So, yeah, I think it's one of those complicated situations where we have a movie that has okay representation. It features actors of color. It's also kind of a CGI mess. Yeah. It's very scattershot. Just the whole film. The plots are very disconnected. So I, I think they did an okay job, but, you know, when we have a historical context where film representation is so poor, it's almost sad that a movie like this is like, well, I guess they gave it a shot, but were they just trying to earn their representation points? It's really hard to know. Yeah, it is. But hey, on that note, why don't we head into the workshop? Welcome to the workshop, where we create a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us your rating from 1 to 10 steampunk eggs? Oh, yeah, I do. My epic moment or feature is her family. All 10 minutes of it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about it. I think... Despite them only having five minutes of screen time, each of them had very clear personalities. Mm, I can see that. They they all seemed like real people. Potentially the only characters that seemed like real people. <laughs> At least in this case, they are the only characters who were... Real people? Real people within the fiction of the film. <laughs> they were not fey beings or toys. Yeah. And um, one thing I was just realizing is the brother Fritz Fritz was really interested in dancing. Yeah, well, that's nice. Each of the siblings and the dad all had things that they liked. Yeah. They each had established likes and some established dislikes. And they had nice chemistry. Father dislikes nonconformity. <laughs> yeah. Well... And they each had a sensitivity about them, which I really liked. They Yes. They were the most interesting characters, despite only having two minutes of screen time. I honestly was disappointed when she went to the magical place and moved away from this, like, family that I could have watched a whole movie about, I feel. Yeah. Absolutely correct. And that will transition me into my rating of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I'm gonna. What is? What are we rating this out? Steampunk of? eggs. Steampunk eggs. I'm gonna give this movie uh three out of ten steampunk eggs. Ouch! My heart was really telling me to give it a two, but I couldn't rate it the same as Monster Hunter World. So it had to be one step above that. I actively will avoid ever seeing this again. Really? Uh, if my friends want to watch this again, I'll try to avoid it. <laughs> wow, I'm actually kind of surprised. Uh, if I were ever to watch this again, I might watch the first 15 minutes and last 15 minutes and be happy. <laughs> because those are the best parts. Just do the machete version? Yeah. The representation, I think, like you said, was okay. People of color exist in the film. That's more than a lot of movies. There are powerful women in the film. And uh, I guess that's pretty good. Yeah. Everything about it is such a mess. I, there's too much for me to mention. Don't watch this. <laughs> All right. What was, like, why was it so painful? Why was it so painful? I think because the beginning was pretty good. Okay. And it was disappointing to leave those other characters behind. Yeah, it was disappointing to see that parts of the movie were good, and they abandoned those parts for the characters that they had. The whimsical characters they established as the cast, I had no emotional connection to. Yes. Except for the, the captain, in my opinion. The captain was cool, because the captain had, like, virtues. Yeah, and he actually had a character arc. He had complexity yeah. and a character arc. But most of the characters in that world were very two-dimensional. When Sugar Plum Fairy was like, I'm evil all along, it seemed like just a different character. Yeah, didn't seem absolutely. Like, oh, I saw, like, hints that this was going to happen. It was just like, oh, by the way, I'm evil. Oh, that's the unexpected. The sad thing is, I fucking called it mm -hmm. at yeah. the beginning of the movie when we were first meeting her. I was like, she's going to be evil. Okay, well. <laughs> I, I, I saw it, too. Nothing. But, but it wasn't, like, telegraphed. No. I was just like, it was so not telegraphed that I knew it was coming. So, <laughs> yeah, let me let me make this a little clear. I didn't care about any of the characters, right? Except for the family, the the Nutcracker, and Clara a little bit. <laughs> That's my rating. The ghost of a 2 out of 10 becoming a 3 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you didn't like Monster Hunter World more than this? No, this was slightly better than Monster Hunter World. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How about you, Chelsea? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from 1 to 10 steampunk eggs? My epic feature is mouse ranks. <laughs> yeah! Epic! <laughs> Beloved um, character mouse ranks who we all equally adore. He's very cute. And I could tell the whole time that he was a good boy. And he was just trying to help Clara. By stealing her key and keeping it away from her. Well, he couldn't speak English, so. Uh, he seemed to be, like, the most intelligent out of all the mice. And he was the, like, 
ringleader of the Rat King. He was the one control at the top of the Rat King controlling all the other mice in the yes. swarm. Yeah. And they weren't trying to hurt Clara. They were just kind of trying to carry her to Mother Ginger. And I thought that he was, like, really willing to forgive people for, like, not trusting him and mm-hmm. trying to hurt him. And he was willing to change tack pretty quickly. So I liked that. I thought, yeah. I thought he was a good character. That was actually pretty cool. He got really good by the end, I'll tell you what. Yeah. With his obscene mouse gestures. <laughs> I was waiting for him to give somebody the finger. I he sort of did. Yeah. I thought he was very cute. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to give this movie a 5 out of 10 steampunk eggs. Nice. Um, I thought that the costumes and sets were all really cool and visually stimulating, even if some of them were unholy. I really enjoyed watching it with you guys. Yay. <laughs> That's something. I don't think I would have enjoyed watching it alone <laughs> or in a serious mood. Like we were joking about it the whole time. So that helps. Us? Never. We are dead serious, <laughs> legitimate movie critics. <laughs> My favorite part of the movie was when, was your joke, Jamie, uh, when Clara had to descend from the tower and they used um, centrif- the idea of centrifugal force to get the rope to hold her in place. And you're like, why did they do this elaborate setup? Why didn't they just tie a knot? It wasn't even a joke. <laughs> it was just an observation. They do this like timing game where Clara has to jump off the tower while Philip holds <laughs> this like weighted rope to throw around a pole that's sticking out so that she can like lower down it's like it was so pointless it was just a way for her to show off her understanding of physics but from a practical point of view it was risking your life on the idea that your friend could throw a rope at the right time i know (laughs) and then it would the rope would be long enough yeah and hold up her weight it was wild yeah, so 5 out of 10. What about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature? And your rating out of 1 to 10 steampunk eggs. Well, I'm glad you asked. My epic feature is my headcanon for Mother Ginger. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just get this right on the table to begin with. I love Helen Mirren. Always have. Yeah. I was... More excited that she was in this movie than pretty much anything else about the film when I found out that she was. I had this vision in my head, like like I said during our discussion, like she presents herself with this very Victorian, queenly, you know, stately lady, Mechina, but inside she is like a Harlequin. She's like a performer. I liked this idea that she's like, trying to be this representation of royalty, but really she's a performer. She's putting on a show because she's from the land of amusements. And I thought that was so cool. And maybe it was intentional or maybe it's just my reading of the film, but it was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was kind of one of, for me, the most intelligible parts of the movie too. 
I was trying to take notes, and I have a lot of notes about the movie, but so much of the, like, moment-to-moment scenes were just meaningless to me. I had no idea why anybody was doing anything, why they were going to the places they were going, what their motivations were. And even in the scene that I'm talking about where, like, we meet the real Mother Ginger, they do this thing I fucking hate in movies. And I understand that... Movie storytelling is not about capturing reality, right? It's about suspension of disbelief and using tropes and storytelling devices to convey the messages of your story. Exactly. But they did this fucking thing that even knowing that I fucking hate, which is (laughs) Clara runs off while Mother Ginger's like, wait a minute, I have the most important information that will change your entire perspective, and literally I could yell it to you while you're running away, but I'm just going to stop yelling while you run and not tell you the important information that would unlock the key to the movie. And just keep calling your name out and asking you to come back. Like, all she needed to do was complete her sentence, and that would have changed the trajectory of everything a real person in Clara's position would have done. I yeah. fucking hate it. It's a cheap technique in yeah, filmmaking. To create suspense and to artificially extend a conflict. Yeah, I mean, it's like the use of unnecessary pronouns to, like, describe a character. Like, we know that they're out there. And it's like, you could just say, like, the name of the evil character or the name of the person or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's such a cheesy technique, and I just do not enjoy it. And yeah, the movie's very much a mess. I came away from it going, I don't know why this movie needed to exist. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of movies are like that, so that doesn't. that's not like a unique criticism or anything. Yeah, right. It existed because somebody wanted to try to make a movie slash make money. True. That's why it exists. Yeah. So I'm going to give this movie... Four out of ten steampunk eggs, which may be higher than it deserves. I don't know. (laughs) It is such a meh movie. And if we're rating where, like, one is just awful damaging garbage and ten of the masterpiece. I guess zero is awful damaging garbage and ten of the masterpiece. Like, to me, (laughs) middle of the road just means, like, I didn't really care. So I kind of didn't care. And then parts of the movie annoyed me. Yeah, fair. And that's why I think it's a four out of ten movie. Nice. Together, we average a four. So Yeah. So on that note, we'd like to thank you all for joining us for another festive holiday episode of Swords and Satire. If you enjoy the show, maybe consider following us on social media. We really appreciate it. We'd love to have more of you checking out our memes that we post every week, our movie announcements. Come chat with us by going to your favorite social media platform and type it in at Swords and Satire. At least if your favorite social media platforms are Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. There you go. And like we said before, if you have the means and you'd like to support the show, you could go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join one of our patron tiers today. You would get cool bonus content and the ability to vote on the movies we watch once a month. So that's a lot of fun and we would really appreciate it and it helps keep our show going. 
But if you don't have a few extra coins to send over to the way of your favorite podcasters, why not tell your friends and family about Swords and Satire so you can all enjoy the movies together and discuss what your wacky satirists talked about this week. We call that the holiday spirit. Yes. Well, until next time, Hail Krampus! just a disappointment.